Take your Bibles and turn to John 21. John 21. John 21. And I believe due to my my forgetfulness, we do not have the uh, keynotes. So, guys, I don't think it's up there. You have it? <laughs> okay. Is it the right one? Because I'm not sure if it is. So, anyway, I, it might not be there. It might. We'll find out. But uh, take your Bibles and do, turn to John 21. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever failed. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have failed? I'm sure all of us can say that there's been a time in our life where we've failed. Um, I um, enjoy sports, and sports is a perfect example of watching people fail. And the question is not whether we fail, the question is how we respond when we fail. And the same thing is true of sports. I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, back in 1999, uh, if you follow golf, you'll know this story, but there, was, uh, the, uh, there are four majors, four major tournaments throughout the year, and it, the, the uh, British Open came along, and that's outside of the U.S. And this particular year, 1999, there was uh, Del, Van, Van Del John Vandeveld, and he was, uh, excuse me, he was a Frenchman. I'll get it right eventually. He was French, and he was leading the British Open, and this was a big story because um, a Frenchman had not won the British Open since um, 1907. Came to the last hole, the very last hole, and he was leading by three strokes, almost impossible to lose, Right? He gets up and his first shot goes into the rough. No big deal. The, the, the announcer said, hey, he can just play an easy shot, get out, and he'll be fine. No big deal. And he gets up and instead of taking the easy shot, he decides to take a risky shot and he hits it into even taller grass. No big deal. He had some strokes to give and so he goes to the taller grass and the, the announcers are saying, well, okay, if he just plays an easy shot, he'll be, he'll be fine, no big deal, but he doesn't play an easy shot. He plays a risky shot, and the shot goes right in the water. He goes up, and this is a, a very famous picture. He goes up, and you can see the ball there at the bottom, and he's deciding whether or not to hit this ball out of the water. I remember, and I was listening, and the announcer's going, I'm, I'm not kidding you, I was just listening to this last night, and the announcer said, has he lost his mind? Is he really going to hit this ball? Thankfully, he didn't. He picked up the ball and threw it out, and now the ball is sitting out, and now he is, okay, he still can do it, but his next shot goes in the sand. It goes up in the sand, and they said, if he hits this one in, he'll be okay, and of course, he didn't. And here, he went in with three-shot lead, and he ended up losing the British Open. From that point, his career um, never recovered, and he never again recovered from this failure. Think of another individual, and I'm not promoting who he is necessarily, but uh, uh, many of you are familiar with the name. That last one you maybe didn't know, but how about one by the name of Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan, uh, when he uh, tried out for his high school team, he didn't make it. 
Yet he didn't quit. He continued on and, and he went on to do great things. And, and uh, he, he never quit. He learned from his failures. And, and um, famously one time, Michael Jordan said this. He said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I was entrusted to take the winning shot and I missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life and that's why I, failure is not what stops us. Now, take that to your Christian life. How many times have you felt this? And if you never felt pain, then how would you know that I'm a healer? If you never went, how can you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, then how would you know I can solve them? Fire, then how would you become pure? If I gave you all things, then how would you pre- appreciate them? All power, then how would you learn to depend on me? If your life was perfect, if your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? As we've been going through a study of Peter, the last uh, two weeks specifically, we, we've been looking at p- failures of Peter. Peter failed. There are two specific ones we looked at. First of all, we looked at the failure story of when uh, he cut off the servant's ear, and then three times he denied even knowing Christ. But there's a second part to Peter's story, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And that is how Jesus restored Peter back to usefulness. The first part depended wholly on Peter. He failed. But the second part depended wholly on Jesus. Peter was in charge of his failures, but yet Christ took charge of restoring him. And behind this story lies the wonderful, hope-filled truth, and that is this. Failure is an event, not a destiny. And the good news is because, uh, and that's good news because eventually every one of us is going to fail. And if we're honest, we fail over and over again. And I can tell you that personally, that's a personal testimony. I fail over and over again. But as Peter's story abundantly proves, it's not our initial failure that ruins us. It's what happens next that matters. Failure doesn't mean that you've blown everything. It means that you have some hard lessons to learn. Failure doesn't mean we'll truly appreciate this message. If you're here today, what happens is, especially when we fail those that we love, our minds are a swirl of emotions. We experience embarrassment, anger, fear, shame, despair. How could I do that? We feel dirty. We feel unworthy because we acted foolishly. When we hurt someone deeply, we know that they still love us, but we aren't sure all the time. And Peter never would forget the day when he failed God. The question is that we want to look at is how did Christ restore him? And I think it comes in five stages, and so I want to look at those this morning. First of all, Jesus sent for Peter. After Jesus uh, died, the Bible tells us and you, we st- uh, to take care of the body. And, and the angels were there and greeted them and announced to them the good news of, that Jesus had risen. And they gave him a very specific instruction. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, he says, But go, tell his disciples, notice it says next, And Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. I mean, when Peter heard that instruction, what do you think he thought? And what does he mean by his disciples and Peter? Is it, is it maybe that I'm no longer one of his disciples? Maybe, maybe it's that, you know, I failed him and so I have to work my way back. 
What am I now? Am I a traitor? Am I his disciple? Does, does... Yet he deserted Christ. Peter may have failed with Malchus when he chopped the servant. You know, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, as Jesus was uh, being led out, and the Bible tells us in Luke that he looked and looked, turned and looked straight at Peter. And the full impact of his sin hit Peter at that moment. The Bible tells us that realizing what he had done, Peter went out and wept. After all of that, Christ says, tell Peter that I'm coming. Tell Peter I want to see him. You know, Christ doesn't put him into the, the loser category and say, you know, I'm done with you, Peter. You failed. Christ says, no. Uh, I did Peter go after he denied Christ? We don't know for certain. He had denied his Lord. He had denied his friend. Christ, and we want to hide. And sin isolates us. And, and so often that happens, that sin isolates us and it causes people to be want to, away from other people that convict them. And, and I imagine that the same was true for Peter, that Peter wanted to be alone because the devil convinced him that he had done a mis- stupid mistake and that he didn't want to be around anyone ever again and that Jesus didn't want him around ever again. I think that's probably what happened to Peter. Wherever he was, I'm sure he felt all alone. And the last thing we're told is that he went out and he wept bitterly. We're not told where he was during the crucifixion. We know John was at the foot of the cross, but we're not told where Peter was. We're not told where Peter was when, when they buried Christ. We're not, we're not told where he was. And I'm sure that he, guessed, that he went off into his own place. I'm sure he had time to think, what does Jesus think of me now? What is Jesus' opinion of me now? And we find the answer to that question in the fact that Jesus made a special appearance to Peter. Scripture records it in two places that it says that Jesus met with Peter. We don't know where, we don't necessarily know when, but notice, if you will, in Luke chapter 24, and then notice what it says next, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and it that, that Jesus met Peter before he met with the rest of the disciples. Yet God came and said, Peter, I'm not done with you. There was no public humiliation. Just a meeting. And with wisdom and grace, Christ comes after Peter and doesn't wait for Peter to make the first move. We see that Jesus met with Peter, but thirdly, we see Jesus challenge Peter, and that's where we get to our text for today. And I want you to look there in John chapter 21. We're not going to touch on every aspect of this, but I want to read in John 21, verses, um, let's read verses 1 through 17. I will read, and you can follow along. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other, uh, other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got in the boats, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any... Uh, excuse me, children, do you have any fish? And they said, uh, answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. 
And they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped from the net full of fish. For they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on it and bread, and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter, three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. He knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here we have this story. It's it's evening. They're on the Sea of Galilee. It's not long after the resurrection. And Peter is here with six other disciples. And he says to them, I'm going fishing. Who's with me? And all of them said, fine, let's go. And they go out and they go fishing. And just like the story we looked at a few weeks ago, and they, they finished the night. And remember we talked about that they, typically they would fish through the night and they would fish until morning. And they come back and it's, it's morning and they've caught nothing. And as they're in the boat, and, and a man from shore calls out to them and, and tells them to put their nets on the other side of the boat. And, and, and they do so and they catch a large amount of fish and, and they end up with so many that uh, they can hardly haul it in because it's so full. And they realize that it's Jesus. And, and John's the first one to realize that. And he turns to Peter and says, I think it's, I think it's the Lord. And, and Peter, in his excitement, and her last time he jumped out to walk on the water, this time he, uh, he jumps out and swims over to Christ to be with Him. And it turns out that as they bring in the fish, they've caught 153 fish. Reminiscent of the passage we read just a few weeks ago where Jesus tells them to go out in the deep that they, they, they required a large number of fish, filling up two boats. And Jesus tells them, throw out your net. And they did it. And he says to them, will you obey me by doing this? And they did. And they understood that that was the right thing. And Jesus was telling them, hey, I have something I want you to do. And he challenged them. I have something just like he did last time. I have a challenge for you. Throw out your fish. And when you do, you'll receive a large load of fish. But yet they had to obey. The question is for us, when God gives us something that doesn't make sense, will we obey? We looked at that a few weeks ago. And Jesus challenged Peter the same and reinstated Peter. They come and they have a meal and the Bible says He brought them the bread. He brought them the fish that He had cooked. That moment between Peter and Jesus. And they're together. And Jesus begins to ask Him, Peter, do you love Me? Peter's response is, of course. No, Peter, do you love Me? Yes. And each time they have this, Jesus says, well then take care of my sheep. What's unique about this story is a couple things. First of all, Peter and Jesus were having this conversation. If you look at verse 9 again, it says, they get out and they're around a charcoal fire place. You know when it's used? It's used when, when Peter was gathered in a courtyard around a fire. Aren't you one of his followers? And he says, 
No, that's not, that's not. Jesus used this, and here we see, you know, by one fire, he says, no, I don't know him. And by another, he says, uh, Lord, you know I love you. You know, several questions come to mind as we read this passage. Why did Jesus ask him three times, do you love me? Some people have said maybe it's because he denied him three times. Why did he do it publicly? He was gathered around with the other disciples. Why didn't he pull Peter aside? And some have said maybe it's because he denied him publicly. And the other disciples needed to hear this conversation as well. Either way, we have this man who boasted, so sure of himself, so confident, just, just a few days before, so confident that he uh, was going to stand up alone and, and here we see him now broken. I think it's very unique the first time that Jesus asked him. Notice what he says. He says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think that's a very subtle reminder of the previous boast. Remember when Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. What was Peter's response? Peter's response was this. They might, but I won't. And here Jesus comes and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He was so proud. And this painful process that he had to go through was failures, and through the pains, Jesus was now bringing him to a point of usefulness again. It was necessary to bring about proper healing. Consider what Christ doesn't do. He doesn't make Peter feel guilty. He doesn't say, Peter, are you sorry for what you did? And he doesn't say, Peter, are you repentant? No, what does he do? He looks and he says, Peter, do you love me? Have you ever hurt someone? Have you ever hurt someone deeply and it's hard to look them in the face? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. But it's hard to look them in the face because you know you've hurt them. And here Peter is in that moment and and it's easy to look and say, how could you have done that, Peter? How could you have turned your back on me? What were you thinking? Do you even love me at all? The questions need to be asked. When he asked him that the third time, Peter's heart is so grieved. Lord, you hear Peter kind of pulling back his own self-confidence. Lord, it's not based on me. You know everything. You know I love you because you can see my heart. And Peter doesn't trust his own heart, but he trusts the Lord. This was a mighty step in Christian growth. He had to go through this painful surgery to get the desired healing. Did it work? Peter never again denies Christ. But instead, a few days later, we're going to talk about this next week, a few days later, no longer standing in his own self-confidence. No longer standing with him, and he stands in the court of the temple and preaches a mighty the Bible tells us that day 3,000 painful process had to happen so that Jesus could reinstate Peter and many times in our failure what happens doesn't look at Peter and say Peter you've messed up so go sit over here and let everyone else who hasn't messed up lost in the burden of our sin and do nothing if you're here this morning, you believe Peter is a, a, a figure of great interest for us because we know for all of us, 
The process of Christian growth is long. Types would know that even though we fall again and again and again, by God's grace, we can keep getting up. And that's grace. So in conclusion here, what lessons can we learn from this story? What did Jesus ask Peter over and over again? He didn't say, Peter, are you serving me? He didn't say, Peter, are you keeping my standards? He didn't say, Peter, are you faithful to church? What did he say? He said, Peter, do you love me? Because love for Jesus is the essential motive in all that we do. Do you love Jesus? And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. That's the question I'm asking myself. Do you love Jesus? I did not ask, are you here serving faithfully? I did not ask, are you at church this morning? I did not ask, are you keeping up the standards that God wants you to keep up? I did not ask any of that. What I asked you this question is, do you love Jesus this morning? Are you in love with Him? Because when Peter failed, that's what Jesus wanted to know from Peter. Peter, do you love me? Because if you do, all these other things, they're going to happen. All these other things, they're going to fall into place. But do you love me? Two things we want to look at, and then there's a couple points under each one. Loving Jesus is the center of our relationship with Him. When Jesus saves you, it's a personal thing. If Jesus saved you, it's not because of anything that you have done, but rather because Jesus died on the cross for you. And He desires to to have you love Him in return. He sang just a few moments ago, the power of the cross. Has there come a time in your life when you've mentally thought of the fact that Jesus died on the cross because of your sin? But the ability that His death on the cross could wipe away all our sins is uh, Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus in in Revelation. And uh, when when He said to them this, He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up my, for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. But notice what he says next. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. I think there are many Christians that they're doing their checklist of Christianity. They're faithful to church. They serve in their ministry or two. They're kind to their neighbors. To do, I see that you are uh, are continuing on even though you're weary. But in there, the first one, the first two times he asked Peter, he says, when he says, "Do you love me?" He uses uh, the Greek word agape, which is a, a is a uh, sacrificial love. And then, and Peter responds by saying, "Yes, I love you, a phileo love, a brotherly love." And and finally, Jesus, the last one, says, "Okay, do you love me, a phileo love, a brotherly love?" And Peter replies, "Yes, I do." But I don't want to get caught up in those words because uh, they, they could be interchangeable at times. And, but I, if we get caught up, we miss the main point. And what is the main point? The main point is loving Jesus is, is at the heart and as the main thing. It's not enough just to say, I love you. It's not enough just to do an act. And core is Jesus is saying, do you love me? 
and how God over and over again. The first encounter that, uh, where, Jesus, uh, where Peter saw the power of Jesus was the miraculous fish we talked about a moment ago. And remember when we talked about that, what was Peter's response to the miraculous catch of fish? What did he say? He said, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Because when we encounter God in His purity and in His power, it, it, it makes us instantly aware of our own sinfulness. And Peter realized when he saw the power of, of Christ, he said, get away from me because I am a sinful man. And what's amazing is the grace that Jesus gives because what is Jesus' response to Peter? He says, don't fear. Because from now on, I'm going to use you to catch men. Peter experiences the grace over and over again from God. And it reminds Peter of who he's been and who he was. Do you painfully know your failures? Do you painfully understand what you've done? Because if we don't understand what we've done, if we don't experience what we've done, if we don't see the sin of our heart, then we cannot experience the abundant grace and forgiveness of charcoal fire. And here we see the Lord restores him to ministry by a charcoal fire. It was going to hurt him because it pointed out his sin. I believe it was necessary. And that's why in sin, and we need to feel the grief that our sin causes him. It restores us because a loving relationship with Jesus reveals itself in serving Him and His sheep. This is full circle what we've been talking about this entire year. That having an understanding of our brokenness leads us to have a love for Jesus because of His restoration, which should lead us to serve Him. And that's what Jesus came to the point with Peter where He says, Peter, if you love Me, then you're going to serve Me. In other words, this, a full cup, when our cup things in closing, Jesus wants those who love him to feed his guarding, guiding, caring for the well-being of the flock. But it's more than that. It's understanding that the sheep are precious to Jesus because he gave his life for them. You belong to God. And since we belong to the down other Christians, we have a responsibility to care for each other. I should say this in a way that is not being uh, derogatory to you. But sometimes maybe there are sheep inside this church that can be obnoxious. Maybe we're self-centered. We're stubborn. We're difficult people to be around. But if Jesus loved us enough to die for us, then we have a responsibility to love each other. Because we're His sheep. And he says to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Maybe you're saying here, well, thankfully that's not my job, it's yours. You're the one called. In, in February, that, uh, the one and other passages of Scripture were over and over again, children, the ways of the Lord. Those who are weaker should shepherd those who are... Uh, are we look at the example of Peter. We see a guy here who, who messed up, who failed. Evidence of loving me is that you are going to serve me. Jesus, his response to Peter is then, then serve me. Of Christians who fade away from church and their response is, loved you. And so your response to Christ's love should be that you love him for them. And sometimes 
there are sheep that are not lovable. And your love for Jesus doesn't stop because they're unlovable. Your love for Jesus goes on. I'm not loving the sheep for what they can give me. I'm not loving the sheep because they're easy to get along with. No, many times they're, they're ornery and stubborn and disagreeable. Many times I'm ornery and stubborn and disagreeable, but yet God still loves me. And I want you to evaluate in your own lives the question that, that Jesus asked Peter. And I want you to think about it in your own life. Do you love me? If Jesus was to ask you that question, which he is, do you love me? What's your response? Okay. If it's yes, then serve me. Give your life completely. What's Peter's response to this? He does. Peter gives himself completely, and we're going to look at that in our closing message on Peter next week. As we head into a time of communion here in a moment, the question again you want to evaluate as we go into this communion is, do you love Christ? Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the gift of Jesus Christ. It's not what I deserve. It's what you give because you love me. And just as Jesus asked Peter so many years ago, Lord, you are asking us the same question. Do we love you? Lord, there are some that don't love you because they haven't understood the weightiness of their sin and they haven't understood the power of your grace. Lord, I pray that you'll convict them. Lord, maybe there's some here that have placed their faith in you, but like Peter, they've failed. And they don't they don't really think that you'll ever accept them again. But Lord, you love us all. And Lord, I pray that you'll help them to see that you desire for us to love you and as a result serve you. Lord, we thank you. We ask this in your name. Amen.